Welcome to the Superpower Circle on June 24th or 25th, if you happen to be in Asia or Australia. Today my guest is Jim Bono, who has been a good friend of mine ever since we both discovered drumming at about the same time. Jim came out of the corporate world, and he was a trainer and a facilitator and a leadership coach. And uh, I did too. I was in a different sort of business situation, but also in the business world. And both of us shared the realization and the understanding that what happens in a drum circle is really quite magic that applies to leadership, communication, teamwork, team dynamics, all that kind of thing. And so Jim has really taken that a long way in the, in the years since. Jim, let's start with the whole idea of the title of your book. You called it The Rumble Zone. And all of us who are music facilitators do know what rumble is, but what more is that in the way you've approached your book? Sure, Mary. Uh, it's, a, it's a good place to start. And thanks for having me today. Uh, you know, this is my real first time to stand up in front of a group of people and talk about this body of work. And quite frankly, there's no place I would rather start this conversation and to, um, quite frankly, the place I feel really comfortable and held as well to be able to have this conversation is, is, is with all of you that uh, we've all connected with through Drum Circle Facilitation, lining up behind uh, and around Arthur Hull's teachings. Um, certainly so many of these words that I use rumble at the, at the heart of them, uh, you know, comes from so much that we've learned from Arthur and everything that's been passed along there. So I certainly honor Arthur and all of all of the teachers that have come before me. Um, and I'm excited to talk, start talking about how that has now landed on me and how I've been able to both learn from my own rumble and rumble zone and start to share that with others. So your question, Mary, why rumble? Um, there's a long story behind it, but the short of the story is this. I entered into this drum circle world in the year 2000, and in a very short amount of time, uh, I got exposed to drum circles. I moved across the country. I quit my job. I um, figured out who I was and that I was a gay man, even though I wasn't living that way, and so I am now. And I had cancer. And all of those things <laughs> happened in about a two-year period. <laughs> and uh, and. Talk about change, talk about the rough and tumble of dealing with things that I wanted to pursue in life and also the things that life just pursued and found me out with, uh, mainly the cancer, really. So that, that kind of chaos and change that entered into life, I didn't really know how to understand it, but I knew I needed to live it and I needed to be present with it. And there I was. I didn't have the word rumble then. I was just, rumble was a celebratory song and a celebratory of a of a drum circle. And then you, you could really fast forward almost 10 years, 15 years maybe after I first met Arthur, where I was leading a corporate drum circle, which I really rarely ever do. I don't do a lot of full team building type of drum circles in corporate settings, but I happened to be doing one that one day and it was a group of 500 or so Microsoft engineers that had a good groove going, you know, as good as a groove as you're going to get in 500 people at, you know, where they are. But you all know what happens. The groove starts to falter. The groove starts to wobble. 
and, and of course we get pulled into it. That's the, the magic of the transition point that Arthur taught us and, and listening for that and watching people's responses, right? So there's that transition and that change moment. And, and you all know there's a lot of things we can do in that change. We can end the groove, we can celebrate, we can try to do something different. But I chose to rumble for no particular reason other than, hey, we're just gonna rumble and have fun. I thought the group wanted to have fun the group didn't want to stop. They, they wanted to take the groove that they had and get to another groove, an even better groove than they had before. I, I didn't know this, but I could see it in their faces, in their determination, that they were so connected to a rumble because they were listening for what they could create from that. I didn't have anything to do with that. that. That was them. But at that moment, I was like, oh, this is what happens to me in chaotic change. I, I, I actually want to lean into it. I want to get to the other side of it. I believe that there's something better there. And my job is actually to embrace the chaos, to let the rumble happen and to let it go and the people found the other side. We, we, we came out with a better groove than we had to begin with. And the look on their faces, they knew that they did it themselves. And for me, that, that's when everything started to line up because the looks they had on their faces, the same look I felt like I had on my face when I was trying to get through the cancer. It's the same look that I see on my clients' faces when I'm coaching somebody who's challenged by something that they've stepped into that they thought that they wanted and they don't think they want it anymore. <laughs> so, so this idea of rumble and change and transition just all made sense to me at that moment. And I realized that's, that's just this sweet spot where not only can we get to something better, but if we do it, we can also stay more connected to the people that we were with. We can actually have stronger relationships with the people that we go through the challenge with. And, that doesn't require anybody else other than ourselves being intentional about how we enter the rumble zone. Hmm. And ultimately that's what the book is all about is like, how, how do you take the, the diversity, the dynamics, the chaos that happen in life in change and in drum circles. Hmm. And how do you help be in that rumble so you can get to the other side for whatever it is that, you want to pursue next. So that's, that's the short story of the, of the rumble, Barry. And, uh, and, and, and I'll just, as a side note here, again, I, I wouldn't share this with everybody, but I'll share this with all of you. The, another reason the word rumble came up is I was talking to a friend of mine um, when I was also naming my company, which was also called Rumble. And my friend worked for Facebook. And he's like, hey, you know what? Your things do great if they have one word names that people really remember. Hmm. And for some reason, the word rumble just popped into my head right there. And that's all kind of came together to bring <laughs> us here today. Joanne, I see your comment about that tendency to feel responsible to manage it, to try to resolve the chaos without having that patience that is something I certainly struggle with and want to work out for. It's like, oh, I got, I got to get in there and fix it. I got to do more. And mm -hmm. certainly I've seen that in myself as a drum circle facilitator and in life and working with my clients where, you know, this is your struggle and I have to let you work with it or 
this is the you know something that I just need to stand still within. So I totally connect with you around that, Joanne. Right. Celeste talks about the tension that that can be experienced in the in that rumble space, which certainly yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, Saul says it made me imagine looking around for an inspiration within the circle, no matter how small the inspiration. I love that comment mm -hmm. because that that really takes me to one of the first points in the rumble is you have to be present to it. You, you have you have to actually know the information that's happening, what those sounds are, what's happening within the world to then begin to respond. How many times do we respond when we don't even have all the information, but we think we have to to control it? I, I, Saul, I, I'm right there with you with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mary, other comments that you've seen that you wanted to comment on a little bit here while I keep reading? Let's see. Oliver says, keep calm in the middle of the storm. And Marilyn says, nothing in life is solid, right? Especially in life these days, right, everybody? Yeah. <laughs> uh, Jim wrote, started writing the book, in fact, finished the book um, back in the olden days, <laughs> meaning before March, um, and then the world started changing and falling apart and everything. And, uh, and luckily, Jim did get to put in a, a final chapter, an epilogue, uh, after the pandemic had started, so that brings it up to date. But now we are all in a, in a rumble zone to the degree that none of us ever could have possibly imagined, and not only from one cause, but from multiple causes. And so, um, gosh, I sure am glad that I have experience and know, and know something about the rumble zone, the transition zone, from being a, a rhythm facilitator. And uh, Jim is just really able to reinforce those concepts here with, uh, with us as he's showing in his book. So the, the, um, you talk about, Jim, the rumble is the bridge between the old and the new. And the way through that is through intention and consciousness and awareness. Um, one of the, your first two concepts that you bring into the, the idea is to have the courage to step into the rumble zone and to be present to the current reality. And those two things, especially how they dance together these days, um, it seems like that's a daily practice to a degree we never imagined. So talk, talk more about that and how you're using those ideas in today's context to help keep going. Yeah, yeah. You know, you know, when, as Mary said, whenever I made the final push for the book is when the pandemic happened. And so... I had a real hard time the first couple of weeks. I had actually traveled to um, one of my corporate clients on the other side of the country. So it was right after the DCFG conference, if any of you had happened to have been there. And um, I, I had a cold. I was coughing. And I wasn't even, you know, that was pre-pandemic days, even though it was a week before it. And I, I was traveling. I was coughing. And I came home. And I was convinced that I was the sole responsible person for the worldwide pandemic because I had traveled with a cold. Uh, that Going to that point about having to control everything, now you understand where that comes from. But I went into a deep, a deep funk those first couple of weeks of March. And the only way I could get out of it, I mean, I literally stood here in my office and I would have to look around and say, that is a chair, that is a window, and I'm standing on the floor. Because if I didn't bring myself to the current moment, if I wasn't mindful in that way, as a, as a practice, 
my head ran off into some future that played out really badly that I was fully responsible for. <laughs> and so, you know, there's so many things that we want to do in the rumble and the transition and the time of change. And almost everything in our instinct says, don't stop and be present. Uh, if you do stop, it might be the fright, uh, the instinct that comes from our, from our reptilian brain, but not about stopping and being present. Mm-hmm. And, and, and really getting into the pandemic was the only way that I could do that. I just have to be present with what I'm thinking and feeling right now. I mean, that, that to me has become the starting point. And even in that last chapter that Mary mentioned that I wrote, I, I, I do believe really being present to our own internal thoughts and emotions, understanding and getting curious about those of others and, and, and looking at what's happening in the environment and, and nature around us has to be the starting point even when all of our instinct says, go and do something else. If I do something else, I'm responding, but I don't know what I'm responding to. Hmm. So that that, that being present was such a key part for me in emerging from the pandemic myself, Mary, and and you and I certainly had conversation about that when that was happening. And now that feels like old news Hmm. because what's more present to me right now is how much more aware I am as a white person of the racial injustice that existed, even though I knew it before, I hadn't really been truly present to the pain of my black friends. I, I, I thought I was, but just like with the pandemic, I had to slow down more. I had to sit with it more. I had to just be with to really understand that level of uncomfortableness and fear that my friend Rahel may feel every day mm-hmm. that I don't even think about. And, and again, I thought I was a pretty progressive, aware person. So I think there's another conversation that we as white people need to start having around what are we present to, what are we noticing, and why are we uncomfortable now? And Or, or if, if we are, because I, I know that's against some of the other information that may be available to you. And quite frankly, Mary, that leads me to the other point that you mentioned, which is the courage. Mm, right. You know, the, the, the word courage, I, I hear this from my corporate clients all the time. I'm talking to a leader who tells me that he's got to find the courage to tell his boss that he doesn't agree with a strategy. Courage. To, to say what you think is best for this organization that you're a part of. You know, we think about courage. We usually think about maybe African-American and, and protesters going across the bridge in Selma, like in the, in, in the 60s during, the, during the, uh, the, the uprisings then. Maybe, you know, we think about soldiers going to war. We think about people fighting cancer. No, I have to have courage to stand here in front of all of you and to say, I'm exploring my whiteness. And I, I'm learning some things about myself that I just didn't know. I, I think that's the kind of courage that is also what it takes in the rumble zone to be able to face ourselves and to sit with that level of uncomfortableness. Um, I, I, I just, um, while those are two separate thoughts, this idea of courage and self-awareness, I'm finding that they actually are more one than I realized before. It does take courage for me to stop and to be present, especially if I've got to stop other people and say, you know what, I need a minute here before I can respond to that because I've got to check in with myself. Hmm. 
it's not like I'm I, personally, I'm not comfortable doing that all the time. And yet I, I know I got to tap into the courage because I believe that I'll have a better response. We'll have a better connection if I could just say what I need for the moment. And isn't it crazy? I mean, anybody mind going in the chat room? Does anybody else have a problem of saying what they need and asking <laughs> it for other people? Am I alone in this? Maybe yeah. give me a visual. Raise your hand if you ever have problems asking for what you need. <laughs> right. All right. Beautiful. Thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone in it. Right. I mean, I, I, I just I'm so amazed at the amount of courage that I have to do to do the smallest things. And and the courage for, for me, I tell a story in the book, Mary, you know, the place I had to tap into courage more than anybody else. And if anybody here has been to the Hawaii play shop with Arthur Hall, mm -hmm. and the first time that you get dropped off at that park in the middle of nowhere by the airport, and you wonder what the heck's going on here. I almost didn't even get out of the car and go to the workshop when I first went. I, I just decided I wasn't going to go. And I was I, I was with a friend. We had spent a couple of days in Hawaii before that. I was like, yeah, I, I'm not doing this. This isn't for me. I'm not going to go. And literally, I sat an hour in her car before I could find the courage to get out. And the let me just say, let me just interrupt. And everybody who knows what he's talking about, just imagine how different our lives would be had Jim not gotten out of that car. I think all of us are somehow or other connected because of that and because of Jim's subsequent work then with Arthur and developing the play shop. So thank you for getting out of the car and finding that courage in that moment, Jim. <laughs> well, uh, you know what, it was It was, It was. was maybe some of my courage and it was also the person that I was with. The funniest thing about that, I, my friend, her name was Kathy, she leaned over and she said, you know what, just get out of the car and go do this thing. You know you're going to end up running this thing eventually, so just go. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't even want to be here. I'm not running this thing and I'm not running it today, but I certainly am love, very appreciative to be a part of it. That's for sure. Um, so, so, so yeah, I, I, as much as I, you know, things in a drum circle aren't linear one, two, three, it's a dynamic experience. And I think being in the rumble zone is a dynamic experience. That's certainly one of the connections that I see. If you were to you know, anybody picks up this book and think, okay, now I've got a one, two, three about what I'm supposed to do to survive change. I just don't think it's that easy. I think we have to do all of these things at the same time. And, and, and sometimes we need more than others. Well, if we don't have our radar on, if we're not present, again, the connection to the Arthur content, Arthur talks about having our radar on, that's about being present, having all of our senses attuned to what's around us. If, if we don't have that on, I don't know what choice to make next. I don't know where to go. I don't know whether I need to ask a question, whether I need to get curious, whether I need to do something. So the starting point really is get, getting present in the moment, bringing that mindfulness to what's happening in front of me and what's happening inside from a feeling and a thought perspective as well. Quite frankly, we could spend you know three days talking about understanding that experience inside and how to translate it out. Right now, I'm just saying, how can you connect with that inside right now for any change that you might be experiencing, something that's happening for you? And it might take courage to stop and to really get connected to the moment. Right. Yeah. Especially when things are now so different than in terms of future expectations. If, I mean, really, everything just wiped clean and we're rebuilding from scratch here. Uh, and discovering new feelings, that, that's something, you know, a blank future, a different future that we've never had 
had to come up with the courage to face that before. But now and, we and, are. And, and, and then to change behavior within that, mm -hmm. because whether it's, you know, somebody like our friend Nancy, who has figured out how to run drum circles in her backyard and has got this whole process going on for that, right? Yay, Nancy Braun. Uh, there's so much to be attentive to because things are different. And, and, and again, that's just from a pandemic perspective, much less to think about what am I doing to create inclusive environments? What am I doing to ensure injust, uh, justice? How can I get connected to that? Mm -hmm. And how can I hold space for that too? So absolutely, Mary, this is a, you know, I said it again, I said in the book, I said, we could be entering the rumble of my lifetime. <laughs> and at 54 years old to think that, wow, this is what's gonna define a good chunk of my life. And, you know, the, the fact is that it is. Uh, last thing I'll say about this is I was uh, perusing through Facebook one time and I read an article. The article didn't stick with me, but the headline did. And it said, this is not your life interrupted. This is your life. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think being present with all of this right now is me saying, this isn't something that's just kind of been thrust into my life. This is my life. How do I choose to respond? You start with courage and uh, being present, and then you talk about your point of view, uh, understanding our point of view, examining it, sharing it. Um, how does that fit in as kind of the next step there? The, the, the book does outline a, a, that series of strategies that, again, I, I, I don't think are a one, two, three step checklist, but they are strategies that are that are apparent at each moment. and. Mary's moving us over to that idea of, you know, what is your point of view? What is your perspective? What is your opinion? What do you believe about what's happening right now? And for, for me, Mary, if, if I'm going to go into a rumble, if I'm going to go into change, if I'm going to get someplace, I have to know where I'm starting. I've got to understand what I believe right now, how that is impacting how, the choices that I'm making, whether that is your values, if you've been to the Hawaii Play Shop and the mentor program, you know, we spend a lot of work do on values because those those values that are so important to us that help guide our choices, decide our decisions. That, that's part of your point of view. Your point of view is also how you believe the world works. And, and, and we all have that, too. I mean, like we have to have that in order to get through the day successfully. We have to learn from our situation around us and begin to think that these things are predictable and they become our point of view. For me, again, I, I got to take it back to what's happening today because, you know, one of the points of view that I had, and again, I, I, I'm going to go to the, to, to the racial justice challenge that is existing in the United States right now because I think it's so relevant. But one of the things that I've grown through in this rumble is, you know, my point of view, and it takes a bit of courage for me to say this too, was like, look, if people are resisting arrest with a police officer, if they're, you know, if there's no reason to the resist of the rest, if you're not doing anything wrong, because if you're not doing anything wrong, the police are there going to be there to help you. And I, 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 that was my point of view. I believe that to be the truth. I now understand that black people in this country don't believe that they're going to be safe with a policeman, even though they didn't do anything wrong. I, I, that was not my point of view. 
And I, I can't know that point of view because I'm not black, but I sure can accept that that's that other person's point of view. And so it's expanded mine. And I now can see the proof of what has changed. So when we think about where we're going to go, how things are going to get different in any situation, each of us have to know the point of view that we're starting with. Because if I didn't know that that was the place that I was starting, I, I wouldn't have this awareness right now that says, yeah, just because you're not resisting arrest or just because you resist arrest because you didn't do anything, that doesn't mean that you're going to be safe. And, and, and so, you know, the, the point of view is interesting, Mary, because when we think about beliefs and point of views and values, it's like, well, those are my rock solid foundations that, that, that I don't want to shift because that's what I believe. <laughs> right. In, yeah. In, in the rumble zone, as much as we have to know our point of view, we have to be willing to be wrong. Right. Good point. Yeah. The, um, my point of view too, I think hopefully all of us have discovered some things about our previous points of view, uh, about this. Um, you know, in my own case, again, uh, thinking that I was pretty up on this whole subject of racial justice, but just in the last few weeks, realizing how blind I really was. Um, and you know, how easily it was for me to just think about this stuff for a while and then turn it off and think about other things and how that's just not possible for, for many people. Uh, and, and how just the convenience I had allowed myself, you know, on something that should be true for everybody. I mean, everybody should be able to just go about their business and not think about these sort of things. So yeah, real, hopefully, well, I think we're seeing this on a wide scale and, and actually this shift and challenge of these previous points of view are what gives this moment in history, I think it's power and potential so that we keep leaning into this and keep really pushing for change. Because once we see, oh my gosh, this can't be, we can't, we don't want to continue as a society this way with people suffering like that. You know, that's when things can start to change. Yeah, yeah, ab absolutely. You know, I saw um, somebody, uh, Michelle actually wrote the question, what's the difference for me between a point of view and a belief? And mm -hmm. I, I don't think they're different. I think they're within each other. I, I, for me, how I define it is like, my point of view is how I'm looking and making sense of the world around me. And, and that point of view is made up of what I believe to be true. It's made up of the values, which are more like for me, that felt peace within my, within my heart. It's more of an emotional piece for me for the value. Belief is more what's coming from my head. Um, so I, 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 what, I'm, what I'm expressing is that uh, that point of view is how we think the world works. And, and, and it's made up of many components that your past experiences, um, uh, uh, the, the successes, the failures, what you've learned from life as well. That, that's really what it encompasses for me. Right. I, I just wanted to see if there were any other questions or comments that we wanted to point to, but that was the one that I saw for sure, Mary. Yeah. The, right. Yeah. So, the, and, and the, again, it's so hard to separate these things out, which is what I've been trying to do in the book. But like, ultimately, if I, if I'm not present, if I'm not mindful inside of myself, right? It's hard to tap into my point of view because we get on the roller coaster. We get on the treadmill and just do things out of habit. Mm -hmm. At least we did four months ago until everything shifted, right? And then like we couldn't, habits couldn't kick in. 
So, like, we had to develop what our point of view was going to be, how we were going to operate in the pandemic. And, and uh, you know, certainly what we're seeing here in the United States is that point of view has wildly different perspectives as well. All of the things that have turned the choice to wear a mask or not into a point of view that represents so much more than I want to be safe and I want you to be safe. Every concept, it seems that we're being challenged with that we're being put in front of us right now it's a rumble that can take us one of two ways and that rumble is one that is closer together because we connect because we get curious because we bring an open mind or it could take us farther apart because we become so entrenched that our point of view becomes more important to be right than to connect with another that brings up the two things about the rumble zone. It's uncomfortable. It's letting go of the old. The new isn't here yet. The rumble zone win right now, it seems like the new is quite a ways away. We're going to be here quite a while. But then there's the new possibilities, the, the emergence possibilities that comes out. That's the gift that the rumble zone can offer. You mentioned just now getting curious, which seems to me what you're saying is the doorway into the new. So how, how do you see that practice working out now when we, we have so much new that we're dealing with every day? How do we cultivate that curiosity in a healthy way, in a creative way, in a, in a way that opens up some mental and heart space for inviting something new that we hadn't anticipated or thought of or envisioned before? Yeah, yeah. You know, I believe that curiosity is how we learn as adults. I see it with the clients that I work with. I see it in, in a lot of the coaching work that I do, right? I mean, we're all having to learn every day. And, and the more that we can be intentional about that with curiosity, oh, I, I wonder about, oh, I'd like to know more about. And, and, and following that, I, 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 is that is that natural sense of curiosity. I, I'm curious, and again, I'm just gonna ask for people to raise your hand if, if, you, if you will, but if you think that you're a naturally curious person, please raise your hand. Not surprising in this group, right? As I, as I think about uh, you know, the people that would be on this call, artists, musicians, people that care about connecting other people, people can care about others, that natural curiosity comes to place. I've had lots of conversation with lots of people that aren't in our profession, and I ask them, are you naturally curious? And I get a lot of no's. Wow. <laughs> there's, a, there's a substantial point of view that says, eh, I don't need to be curious about this. I like what I've got and I'm just gonna kind of move on and, 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 and live here. Hmm. So I, I think one of the things that we have to be curious about as well is like, like all those people that aren't curious, <laughs> but not tell them to be curious. <laughs> Instead, bringing curiosity to that and listening. It's one of the things, again, as a white person that I've heard from some of my black friends and in some of the reading that I've done, is the importance of me just listening. I think our responsibility to be curious today is greater than it is more than ever. Because that's the only way that we're gonna learn our way through a pandemic when people don't wanna put on a face mask to protect other people, the way that we can understand what it's really like for a black person when they're pulled over by a cop and to really hear that visceral perspective 
of someone that doesn't feel safe. Like I need to bring my curiosity to that. And, uh, and, and curiosity can take so many perspectives, Mary, you, you, you know, you ask like, how do we, how do we nurture that natural curiosity? You know, it's one of the things that because I'm such a curious person, it, I may have an unconscious competence in, right? It's like, right. huh, what, what, what does make me curious? So I'm really curious from all of you, as I continue talking here a little bit, like what helps you get curious or what, what, what helps nurture that curiosity within others? And actually, if I could make one other point as well, when we get to curiosity, you know, one of the things um, that, again, I've, I've worked with Arthur on whenever we uh, created the mentor program for Hawaii, for the Hawaii Play Shop, um, Arthur always used this iceberg and talking about the iceberg metaphor. The iceberg metaphor basically just says, look, above the water, what we can see of an iceberg is really just only the tip of it because there's all of this iceberg below the water line that holds it up. We believe that people are the same. What you all see of me are the words that I say and you know how I'm moving my hand and you know a little bit about where I am. But there's so much underneath that for me and for all of you that we don't see. For me, this is where I want to bring a deep sense of curiosity as to what's going on below my waterline and what's going on below your waterline. How are you feeling right now about what's happening in the United States? I mean, let's have a real conversation about that that doesn't get you know, caught up in politics or all the things that we should do, but really sitting with the despair or the confusion and knowing that that's what's living underneath my iceberg. Hmm. Uh, so, so, so there's that heart, but I would call this heart-based curiosity in the book. I call it heart-based curiosity because we really want to get below somebody's actions. We want to get below the words that they're saying and understand what's underneath, which is could potentially be as much of a discovery for them as it is for us. Have, have you ever had that experience, Mary, of uh, like through a conversation, somebody else's curiosity helped you connect to something deeper about yourself? Yeah, that's so helpful. And, uh, you know, we're all we all caught in our own dialogues and that don't change unless something enters to change it. And a question, a good question or conversation with someone is a really great way of doing that. Like, oh, I never thought of that before. Reading your book, <laughs> reading your book has caused that. So the courage to step into those conversations, to say something that hasn't been said before, and to do it from a place of being present to my, of my own feelings and thoughts and why am I asking this? Uh, you know, that's just how we generate learning conversations. Yeah. And yeah. I tell you, even I noticed that you did this, Mary, whenever you were sharing that story back, you did one of the huh, I haven't thought of that. And quite frankly, that's the greatest gift I can get from any question that I ask mm -hmm. is, is that somebody pauses or they take a step back or they're like, oh, I, I hadn't considered that. Uh -huh. if, if, if you want to think about how are your questions that you're asking, if people can answer the questions that you're asking right off the top of your head, I mean, that's it's great. You're, you're getting information. But if you can ask somebody something that causes them to go inside, and then you can just hold that for them. I mean, again, as facilitators, we're masters of holding space. And, and, and in a drum circle, you do this all the time. You invite people to share their rhythm. You invite them to share their unique voice to join with others. 
I believe in times of great change, whether it's change that I'm experiencing, whether I'm supporting somebody else's change, to be able to just ask a genuinely curious, open question that, that, that I'm really listening to your response for. Because I'm sure everybody's had an experience of somebody asks you a question, but they're not really listening to your response. They're just waiting for you to be done so that they can share what they really wanted to tell you. Has anybody had that before? <laughs> Right. I'm seeing some Annette. smiles here. So you know that. Here's the other question. Has anybody ever done that to somebody else before? Yes, I have. Yes, yes. So, I mean, again, it, it's a human trait. So I have to catch myself. If I want to give you true curiosity, I've got to stop. I've got to ask and I've got to stop. Mm -hmm. You know, they're the active listening tools that we talk about, paraphrasing what the other person says. Incredibly helpful, right? It keeps me in the moment so that I'm being present. It lets the other person know that I've heard them and it helps them want to tell me more because as soon as they start to talk and I'm listening, they're like, oh, this person's really listening. It also brings up the whole idea of space, leaving space, creating space, which we know is so important for us musically as well uh, and playing together uh, in our drum circles. And it also leads into the idea of resilience, I think, which is one of the overall themes of your book. All of these practices lead us to be able to create resilience. And when I hear that word, which is buzzing around a lot these days, it's a process of, of strengthening, stretching, creating a little bit of space for a breath, for a new idea, for, for curiosity. And we have, kind of have to stretch ourselves to allow that, which in today's circumstances, for some people can be a lot because they're just dealing with so much, but to be able to stretch and kind of push ourselves into a, an open space and then allow new things to happen. That seems like the resiliency muscle that we're all trying to build today. Absolutely. I, I mean, like every piece of what we've talked about requires resilience that, that the will to go beyond that resistance, the will to do that whenever things are, at their utmost challenge. I'm reading a new book, uh, not a new book, a new book for me, but a book that maybe you've heard of called My Grandmother's Hands. Has anybody had the opportunity to read this book or has heard about it before? Mm -hmm. I'd, I'd invite you all to check it out after you check out my book. Nah, no, whatever. <laughs> um, but My Grandmother's Hands, it's written by a, 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 a black therapist here in the United States. And everything that he's talking about is how to heal racial trauma looking at it from a white perspective a black perspective and, and 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 a couple of others in the book i won't go into a lot of detail but one of the things that he said in the beginning of the book that i just found fascinating is he talks about his work in therapy you have to go beyond the cognitive therapy to truly heal trauma the trauma that we hold in our bodies it's got to be done work's got to be done beyond what's in the mind and he said you know People that sing and that play music and that drum and that do call and response are uniquely building resilience in themselves by healing the body trauma that they don't even know that they're carrying. Wow. And I was so excited when I read this from this guy, because if you think about all of us and the work that we do, whether we're drumming, whether we're leading a drum circle, whether we're facilitating others' groups, there, there's a full body experience to that. Uh, I mean, I go back to Arthur again. Arthur used to say, you know, Jim, I can see when you facilitate in the circle, I can see you all the way down to the bottom of your feet. 
And part of the reason I think he said that is because my whole body was in it. What I didn't realize is what my body was getting from it. And the sense of healing that was happening because I was helping others drum. And again, this is a, a new idea for me of really understanding the level of the traumas that our bodies hold and what we're doing as drum circle facilitators, music therapists, people that work with others from a, from a body perspective to be able to help enhance the work that we're doing with our brains to heal the trauma that we're carrying, not only for us, but for others around us. And so that, that, that's where that resilience piece really kicks in for me, Mary. And, you know, sometimes I didn't realize how I had the level of resilience that I had sometimes in tough conversations. Hmm. Now I'm convinced that part of the reason that I can stand in the tough conversations is because of the resilience muscle that drumming and facilitating drumming has built inside of me. Wow, <laughs> that's great. Everybody take a breath and take that in. That's such a great testament to the work we do for ourselves, as you just said, and that we offer that, we enable that experience for other people. Uh, I've just gotten into that book, and I'm certainly going to finish it, so strong recommendations are coming through on the chat as well. And to have that direct link to what we do implied in what, he, what the author is talking about is really a gift. I just know that each of you has that opportunity, whether it is, you know, right now through Zoom or whatever it is that you're doing, and just knowing that every piece of change is enhanced when we're able to engage our body, engage connection, and, and find the courage to lead other people in that, as you all do every day. Yeah. What do each of us do as an individual resilience building practice? Mm -hmm. And two, do we notice the resilience, the impact on our own resilience or on others whenever we lead them in drumming and share that, that, that physical experience with them? So I was in a group with Arthur Hall, oh. uh, coincidentally. And so we were, we were talking about activities that we do to build resilience. It was Arthur Hall, Greg Witt, and myself. Uh -huh. and, um, and so, you know, Greg shared about his resiliency practices. And Arthur said, you know, if I'm doing Legos, it really takes me more inside. It's not a resiliency activity. For Arthur, the resilience was digging the pond. And mm. so then we really connected to this idea of the need for the, the physical activity that around the movement of the trauma and that the, the, the Legos wasn't enough for him. Mm. And so that, that's where we were making those kind of connections. Uh, we're coming to the end of our time here, but uh, if anybody would like to say something, some statement or something that's really in your heart and on your mind that you want to add or ask, ask Jim, um, just go ahead and unmute yourself and speak up and uh, we'll, we should be able to hear you. I will. Um, I would have never met you folks uh, and not that we've met in any real deep way but in a way we have met in a deep way because you're 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 my good folks <laughs> and uh i'm not a traveler so i don't usually meet people unless they move to regina i don't meet them uh in their country or whatnot so it's just a, a wonderful thing to be able to uh see uh and know that there's all these good folks thinking 
thinking along these same lines, and thank you for the people who have made it happen so far with the Zoom meetings and whatnot. Thank you, thank you, Joan. Yeah, Joanne. Yeah, thanks for that, Joanne. I I, I agree. Like I, I got to tell you, like I, the Zoom is great because like we can connect. And uh, I also kind of think Zoom is also like being on a low carb diet. Nobody's <laughs> ever done the low carb diet thing, right? Because you eat all the you eat everything that's all the proteins, and you just don't feel like you get fully satisfied, <laughs> right? Because that carb kind of gets us over the edge. Zoom does that for me too. Like we can play like that, Joanne, and we can connect like that. And I love every bit of it. And I can't wait to be in a circle with you, Joanne, or find some way that we can actually hug because that flips the rest of my switch for connecting with people. Right. <laughs> Deborah, yeah, did I see you, you have a, a, a raising your hand there? Unmute yourself. Okay. Hey, yeah. um, Jim, thank you for um, Doing this, I've been looking forward to meeting you for a long time. I, I stumbled upon you somehow. I'm not in the circle circles, um, but I, I and I have your book. It's awesome. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah, I got it right away. And um, but I really appreciate you as a black person in America with everything that's going on. I really appreciate the comments you made about taking a moment to take a step back and kind of re-realize where you were. I mean, not your words, okay? kind of where you were with things. And um, that was really, really wonderful to to hear because I get a few white friends that want to come talk to me. I'm like, oh, let's not do this, okay? <laughs> um, because they just want to talk about it, you know, because it's like all of a sudden they woke up. It's like, dude, this has been going on for a long time. But, um, but it's awesome that you kind of realize that. So it was awesome to, to see that. Thank you for sharing that. Well, thanks, Deborah. I, I appreciate that. What what I believe around this is like, I, and I and I want to engage, and I am engaging my white friends in this conversation because I I, I don't need to go to, to you know, like I want to engage you in a conversation about life and a lot of things. I don't want to go to my black friends. Let me talk about how you are with this because <laughs> because they're like, don't why did that. I do? Yeah, why did I do that earlier? Right? No, I got to talk. So I, I appreciate. Careful what you're not to get offended. Cause I'm like, well, shit, this has been going on forever. I'm like 60, dude, what do you think's been going on? So I have to be mind, I want to be mindful and open to this awareness that some of my white friends are coming to at this point and really have compassion and love them. I love them anyway, and have compassion for where they are and, and be open and not be mean, you know, like, oh, God, dude, where you been, you know? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. You just want to talk to me now? And she's just like, yeah. wake up. And uh, why don't yeah. you just go with all your white friends and you guys get all the, hey, I just woke up conversations out of the way. And then once you do that, then let's have a conversation. But get the, uh, get the thank you. Get the, oh, wow, I didn't realize this was happening. Get that done. And because it's almost insulting. And then, and that's just me. And then let's have a conversation after you do that portion. But thank you for, for doing that. Oh, you, you're very welcome. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And thank you for the book. Thank you for buying the book. That's very kind. You know, uh, yeah, the whole promotion thing and putting out the book has been a learning learning moment for me as well. I couldn't have done it without the spectacular team that I've got around that's been helping me to do that. And I, I thank them so much. And, and Mary, thank you for what you've done to help and support me through the years too. Thank you. 
Hi, Jim. My name is Giselle. I don't think we've ever met in person, but I've seen you on lists for a bazillion years. <laughs> so it's nice to connect with you. Congratulations on the book. I really look forward to making my purchase tomorrow Thank uh, you, to support you. So you get those numbers up. I know how important that is. And I, I guess the thing that's always been in my heart on this journey has been that first and foremost, our work is being great human beings. And that's why I'm so grateful to Arthur for having you know, the consciousness that he's given this community um, to really just to know the human potential, you know, what this is really about. And for some, they come in different levels of consciousness and awareness, but um, it's always fabulous for me to, because I'm here in New Mexico and um, there's not a lot going on right now with other facilitators that I'm connecting with. So it means a lot to me to, to plug in, you know, and yeah. to uh, know that there is a family out there that I belong to. And um, I know Arthur has been here before, and, and maybe in the future we'll we'll have another intersection point there too. So Giselle, where are you? Where in are you in, in, in Albuquerque? I have a nephew yeah. that lives in Albuquerque, and I got to go see him once we get to travel again. So I'll keep in touch with you. I'd love to okay. connect when I'm in Great. Albuquerque. Look forward to it. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good luck Thank with everything. You. We're at the end of our official time, so you we can stay, stick around and keep talking. We can help his book climb up the charts, and that'll help him in the future, and it'll help him attract more corporate clients as well for the book, which is our way of getting the whole story of drum circles into broader circles. So it's in our that, interest that Jim's book does well. And that is one of the last points I'd like to land here, which is, look, if, if we can continue to bring these stories of drumming and community and connection more broadly, and if the, the, if the book can do that in any way in my conversations, that's what I want. And so, man, it'd be pretty cool to say, oh, there was a best-selling book about drum circles? <laughs> right. Where they really track those things. We know Arthur sold a lot of books, but uh, it'd, it'd be nice to have this one tracked. So that'd be cool. Thank you, Mary. <laughs> Uh, Arthur. <laughs> uh, just a quickie. Uh, uh, this outreach campaign, it's, uh, I've really been educated uh, in the process of, of this, and I really have been enjoying watching this go down. And yes, all of us are going to spend 99 cents tomorrow morning uh, uh, to, to help Jim out to buy, uh, to buy uh, at least the Kindle, if not the book. But for us, for us group, even though the outreach is focused on leadership, uh, uh, and uh, having authentic leadership in, in your world in times of change. We know if anyone who's worked with Jim or come to our mentor programs, we know that the book is also about how to live an authentic life in times of change. And I, I see that as a value added to our community and to any, any person who is serving community in some way by sharing their spirit, regardless if it's rhythmical spirit or healthcare spirit or whatever. So I, I highly recommend the book, not just as a leadership training book, but as an authentic, authentic life living training book. Thank you all for, for coming in, for participating in the conversation. You know, I, I'm usually on these things, either co-hosting or facilitating the conversation, not, not being the person talking. So, uh, I did that now. And so, like I said, it was a great place to start and I couldn't imagine starting any place else. So thank you all. It really means a lot for me that you came. Thank Our you. next superpower circle is July 10th, which is a Friday. So um, change that calendar. And it's with Louis Daniel Jolie from Montreal. Ooh. 
He has done a bunch of stuff um, in terms of activities and adapting to the pandemic situation. And he's got a lot of creative ideas. So watch out for those announcements, July 10th. And we will see you then in the circle.